Well, good evening. It's so good to see you. I know there's other folks out in the foyer be coming in, and some people have been in uh, different classes. They'll be joining us. But I'd like to ask you to please stand. And I'd also like to greet those that are uh, watching us online. And we're so excited to have you here. We're, we're having a, a special guest going to be sharing with us uh, their story tonight. And you're going to be blessed. But I want us to open in prayer and ask God's blessing to be upon us tonight. Father God, we are so thankful for your goodness. We thank you for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And God, we know the weather's nasty outside and even had to change some of our events that we had planned for the kids tonight because of the weather. But we're so glad that you're Lord of it all. Regardless of the weather, we know that you are in charge of it all. And we give you praise for it. And now, Father, we know that there are many that are watching online. We know there'll be others coming in. We know they got children throughout the premises. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be with them, minister in a very real way. And God, we just thank you for it in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful, wonderful name. Amen and amen. Well, again, thank you and remain standing. We're privileged that I have Jeff Booth going to lead us in our worship because, uh, uh, yeah, Lee and Charlie are going to be out of town Sunday and he's going to be uh, pinch hitting for us. And I really thought I was going to get lead. Man, you know, you wait to get the opportunity. Then they said, we brought in somebody that knows what they're doing. That's good. Let's get, <laughs> come on, Brother Jeff, lead us in worship. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Thank you, Pastor. It's good to be with you tonight. How many love Jesus? Come on, lift those hands heavenward. Can you do that and just welcome him into this place? Just tell him that you love him. Thank him for an awesome day that he's given you. You've got breath in your lungs, strength in your legs, you're in your right mind. He's, he's giving you the breath to praise him. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. You are a holy and awesome God. So we sing, holy, holy, holy. Everybody say, holy, holy, holy.
one more time. Come on, say he's holy. We cry out. Waymaker, you are here, moving in our midst, so I worship you, I worship you, you are here, working in this place, I worship you, I worship Say that again. You are here moving. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You're a way maker, way maker, miracle worker, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Way maker, way maker, miracle worker, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God. You're here touching every heart, Lord. You are here. You are here, touching every heart. Tell them tonight, I worship you, you alone. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, Lord. You are here. worship you. You are here, mending every heart. I worship you. I worship Come on, let's lift our voices. He's a way maker. Say, way maker, miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you you are, Lord, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, say that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are. 
you never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop, even when, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working you never stop one more time say even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop oh you're a way maker way that is truly who you are. Waymaker, promise keeper. God, I know there's some folks that'll be tuning in tonight, maybe here in the service. God, that you need to make a way for them. You need to perform that miracle because it's something they can't handle on their own. And God, we're so glad that you are the waymaker, the promise keeper. And God, you tell us in your word that we can cast every care on you for you care for us, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jeff. And he'll be with us Sunday morning leading in our worship service, so we're looking forward to that. And glad to see you here. Glad to see some of our missions team from uh, Alaska back with us today. They made it during, we, during service time Sunday morning, and uh, uh, the only thing report I've got is they got the job finished and they're tired. But I'm looking forward to hearing more details from that. So looking forward to that. And uh, wow, what a wonderful VBS we had uh, last week. It's uh, such a joy. Amen. It was awesome. It was awesome. So tonight we're privileged as we continue our uh, series on Before You Knew Me. Um, actually, I've known this, this kid all of his life, basically. Um, he grew up here at the church. His mother... And dad or Steve and Laura Jones. Laura's our business uh, manager. Steve's on our board, so a wonderful time. But uh, Nick has went off to, and joined the military, and he hasn't made it home yet except just to visit. But I'm looking forward to hearing his testimony tonight and his story. So uh, would you put your hands together and we'll welcome Nick Jones to speak this
Good evening. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've had the uh, the honor of speaking on uh, on this stage. I've been on the old sanctuary stage plenty of times, but this one's a new one for me. It's like I'm uh, giving my testimony to a train. So uh, <laughs> um, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be able to uh, talk to y'all and to those who are online. Um, it's been a it's been a long time since I've spoken in public, so you have to bear with me. Also, I've been up since 1 a.m. It was a very long day for flying, so I flew in about I got here about two o'clock this afternoon, so flying out from Colorado. So, in any case, so I feel like my testimony would be uh, remiss if it did not have some kind of biblical application. So, there is a passage of scripture that I like to read before I begin to uh, to share it. So. Um, if you're, if you would like to follow along, it's uh, Joshua four, uh, one through seven, and uh, and um, the context is that the nation of Israel um, is getting ready to cross the River Jordan into the Promised Land, and well, I'll just read this in the scripture. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, "Take twelve men from the people." from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the, of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever." In order to keep my thoughts coherent and to keep, uh, keep myself from talking aimlessly on and on, I've, I've named my testimony Stones of Remembrance because that is what a testimony is. I've never put a testimony together, um, my own testimony. So I was, as I was forming this narrative of my life, it gave me the opportunity to reflect and look back on these stones of remembrance, these memorial stones that I've had over my life, where I didn't realize at the time, but God was actively intervening in my life. And I would call it miraculous in some ways, because the providence of God is great, and he guides the steps of his children. So as you journey along with me tonight, I ask that maybe within your own testimony, in your own heart, you look, at, you look inside and you think to yourself, of these stones of remembrance that are in your own life and that God is glorified in your remembering those times where he acted, even when you didn't see it. Because part, I, I've come to learn in my life that it's primarily that's how God works is you don't really notice it until maybe sometimes years later and you look back to yourself and you say, wow, God really did something there and I, I, I completely didn't see it for what it was. And that's okay. Because I guarantee you the Israelites would have done the same thing if they had just crossed the Jordan and fast forward some generations and they probably would have forgotten. But God commanded them to set up stones 
in order that they would never forget how God miraculously intervened on the behalf of his children. So as with all good stories, we'll start at the beginning. <laughs> I was born in Ocala, Florida, October 3rd, 1986, to my parents, who the first stone of remembrance for me is the fact that both of my parents were godly people. I looked up a statistic because I was very, very curious. And according to the 2021 U.S. Census Bureau, four out of ten children are born to single mother households. And that's tragic. It's tragic because no mother should have to, to carry the burden of being a single parent. And also, it affects the children in ways that are negative because they don't have either a mother or a father because both are absolutely needed in families, right? They absolutely are. So my first stone of remembrance was the fact that I was born with a I was born to a family that had a mother and a father and there were Christians. And that itself was a grace of God because it set the stage for my entire life up to this point. Because as I grew up, Oxford Assembly of God was my home. This was my home just about, if not more so, than my physical home. Because I grew up in the pew, being a, uh, a baby sitting in the pew over there. And I learned lessons throughout my childhood that would be ingrained in me from Brother Darrell. And without that, I don't think I would be standing here today to have this testimony but I'm getting ahead of myself. So when I was born, I was born with a, a somewhat unique eye condition called rod cone dystrophy. And without getting into the intricacies of what it is exactly, I'll just say that it affects my, it uh, was affecting my vision to the point to where I was, the doctors were predicting I would be completely colorblind and come legally blind by the time I was a teenager. And so, of course, that diagnosis to my parents meant that my life was not going to look like a typical childhood because of the imminent threat of going blind at a, at a young age, adolescence. So, of course, that was something that I grew up with, and um, it affect, it, could, it was, it was the, uh, potentially affecting my independence as an adult, and of course my mother um, was preparing me for that, what we thought was an inevitability. We thought that that was the end result, that was going to be what my future was. Um, I can say with certainty that I do have partial colorblindness, but it's nowhere near as bad as they thought, and of course I'm wearing glasses, but nonetheless, I did not meet that inevitable end of becoming blind. And that, of course, is another stone of remembrance, and that is through the grace of God working miraculously in my life. So as I grew up in church, right here at Octo Assembly, I quickly, I say quickly, I found out early, at an early age, that I was very, uh, very inclined to enjoy playing music. I believe my mother still has a uh, home video of me singing Jesus Loves Me at a preschool production uh, when I was very, very young. I'm 
hopefully that video doesn't exist because it's a, <laughs> you know. Um, so at the age of seven, I took two drum lessons, and that's all I took. A, a few months later, I was playing the drums for the worship team here at Oxford Assembly. Matter, that might, I think that's the same set, as a matter of fact. I was talking to Greg, and I was saying to myself, is that the same Pearl set? I'm pretty sure that's the exact same set I started on when I started playing a seven. That is a very old drum set. <laughs> oh, goodness. So I discovered my love for music because I was given the opportunity by Oxford Assembly to to practice and to play and to cultivate that talent and that gift. And that is a stone of remembrance for me because even now, at the age of 36, I'm still playing music. The lessons that I learned playing music here at Oxford have, have carried over across my entire life. And I'll give an example. I, I've, I have the, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of musicians who can't play in a three, four time signature can't play in a 6-8 time signature. And of course, that is a, a time signature that is played in hymns, many, many hymns. And Oxford Assembly having that blended music style of contemporary and, and traditional, that really taught me a lot. It really f honed my musical talent. And so that is something that I thank God for, and it's the grace of God in my life because it showed me a gift that God gave me and I've been able to use it for his glory over these past 29 years. Because if God gives us a gift, how dare we not use it for his glory? We must. We're commanded. <laughs> so Oxford Assembly gave me the opportunity to play music and to learn how to love it and to see the glory of God in music. Martin Luther has a very famous quote saying that music is the handmaiden of theology. And we express our love and our understanding of God through the music that we sing. So then I grew up. I grew up in Oxford continually. Within, uh, and then I became a teenager in my youth. And that was a very influential time for me as well. Because that was the time when I started to learn. How do I put this? I started to learn how to feel God's presence. Um, I, one of the biggest things that was, that was going on during the time was the Brownsville Revival, if anybody's familiar with that. Our youth group took many trips to that revival, and the things that we experienced there, it was powerful. And it wasn't just the things that we experienced that was, that was the most powerful part of that, but it was the fact that, we, that I saw what a, how do I put this? I saw God calling people to repentance in Brownsville. I saw a mighty work of God in lives that was life-changing, that was calling them to salvation. And if that, that's it. That's the gospel. And I saw that firsthand. And then with that, the experiences of the Holy Spirit moving and, and things like that, it was an incredible experience that also was a stone of remembrance for me because it showed me how powerful God can be in his people when he moves. And growing up, I also had many people 
that helped me build those stones of remembrance. People like, people like Miss Mindy, Brother Felix, Harold Seegert, Miss Debbie, Joe Figlorio, people that have long since, long since gone on to glory. But these people mentored me and spoken to my life and their testimonies and their legacies are what allow me to stand here today and speak to you and to tell you these stones of remembrance because they decided that it was worthwhile to mentor and to talk to and to sometimes give very tough love to a very young man who was rambunctious and was impulsive, <laughs> who I would always hope meant well, but nonetheless, it was their guidance that, that formed the foundations of lessons I would learn and apply later on in my life. And also having youth pastors like um, Brother Joe Ray and, br and Brother Garrett McKenzie, who has also went on to, to be with the Lord. Don't ever devalue your ability to speak to a young person's life. And I say that sincerely because even one kind word can make all the difference in someone's life, in a young man or young woman's life. And you are helping them set up the stones of remembrance for them to fall back on. So don't ever take that for granted. So we move on to my uh, graduate high school. I started attending college at Southeast University. And it was I was originally going for a degree in music. Um, as, I, as I started pursuing that degree, I realized that, well, to be quite honest, one, probably wasn't gonna pay very well, I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> Number two, I thought, I wasn't sure if that was something I wanted to pursue as a career. I loved doing it, but it was one of those things where um, you don't necessarily want to do it as a, uh, as a job as opposed to a hobby, because, you know, sometimes you start hating the thing that you do for work, even though you used to love it. You know, I'm sure people have felt that before, so. Um, it was that point that I decided I was going to change my degree to a degree in psychology. I was doing very well in my elective courses, which were psychology classes, and so I started to change course, but unfortunately, due to some family situations and due to my own emotional immaturity, um, I, did, I dropped out of college. So we fast forward a, a few months after that, and <laughs> probably the, the biggest stone of remembrance aside from my own salvation, um, which I guess I never, I never did talk about when I got saved. I guess I, <laughs> I grew up, I think I was seven. I just, it was one of those things where I never had a salvation experience because I always grew up, I guess, I, I don't want to say I grew up saved, that's, that's not, but I've always known the Lord, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I've always known him, and that is, that is something that is because of my parents, because of the mentorship um, at Oxford Assembly, so my salvation experience is not very exciting, I guess, <laughs> but 
God be praised because it didn't take a spiritual two-by-four to get to me. Because I had parents that would, would show me the way to salvation that would be the, the leading examples in my life. All right, back on topic. So I, um, after I, I dropped out of college, I was a single man. Um, I was living at the house at the time. I was back at Oxford Assembly of God, of course. And I started talking to this girl online through MySpace, if anybody remembers that. Um, she lived in West Texas. I was, of course, here in Florida. And we hit it off. We had, um, it was a long-distance relationship. We had a lot in common. We, she was a good you know, Christian woman, and I was a good Christian man, so it made sense. And we were dating for about a month. And I remember, I can remember this very vividly. It was early in the morning. I was still asleep, and I get a phone call from this girl. Her name's Rebecca. I should say what her name is. I get a phone call from Rebecca, and she tells me that she is pregnant with a child from her previous relationship. She just found out she was pregnant. Now, I've known her for a month. I was 20 at the time, and it was at that point I hit a crossroad at life very, very vivid crossroad. One choice was to say, thanks, but no thanks. Um, this is too much for me, and, and let it be. Which, I, you know, would have, that would have been fine. My second choice was to marry this woman and become the father of that child. And that's the choice I made. And we are going on 17 years now. So we had dated for a month. We were engaged for a month. Yeah, I think three months total we knew each other. And then we were married. Um, it's worked for me. I'm not sure if I'd recommend it for everybody. But nonetheless, it goes to show that that can... Um, it, it can work if marriage can work if you're willing to make it work. And of course, there's been challenges, but I've learned over the years that regardless of how frustrating life can, and can be because of marriage, I'll never regret that decision because it brought me my son and it brought me the love of my life. I, was <laughs> I mentioned earlier I was impulsive. That was a definitely an impulsive decision, but it was one of, the, one of the only impulsive decisions I've made that has actually been one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. So let's move forward a little bit. Um, a couple of years. My oldest son, Kai, is growing up. Um, I had another son at a uh, about a, a year and some change after him, Noah, my, my youngest son. And I was between numerous jobs because I either kept getting laid off, um, I, had, I, I quit, or, or for whatever reason, I had absolutely little ambition and little direction as to where to go in my life. I was absolutely just kind of stuck. And I had two young kids, I had a young family, and I had to do something. So one night as I was uh, sitting at the, on my recliner after a hard day's work, 
I thought to myself as a joke at first, uh, why, uh, why maybe I should join the military. And now you have to understand, I never had any aspirations of being in the military when I was growing up at all. I, I respected him, of course, but I was not, it ain't me, it ain't me, I ain't no fortunate one, you know. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And also, I did not think that because of my eyesight and my eye condition, I would be able to. So see, we're starting to go back to stones of remembrance already. So I thought to myself, well, why don't I just look into it and see what happens? There's no harm in looking. So I started looking at the different branches, and um, I saw, I, I've heard enough stories from other veterans that said, don't join the Army. So the Army was the first one cut. No offense to any soldiers out there. I, I respect y'all, but that's not, that wasn't the branch for me. I started looking at basic trainings, and the Marines was 12 weeks long. I said, nope, I do not want to be out in that miserableness for 12 weeks. I looked at the Navy, and I decided with a young family, I didn't want to be out in the middle of the ocean somewhere for six months, seven months at a time. So the Navy was out, but that only left one, and nothing can stop the U.S. Air Force. So that's the branch that, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> that's the branch that I ended up looking into. I went to the recruiter's office the next day. Within a couple of months, I was getting my military physicals done, and I passed. My eyesight was not a hindrance. I mean, it did keep me from, from a few jobs, but it, was not enough, it, it wasn't enough to disqualify me from being in the military. And I remember when I called my mom and told her that, she was shocked, ecstatic and shocked, because this entire time growing up, she thought and she was under the impression that I was going to either be blind or not be well enough to see to really have any kind of independence. And I just told her that her son was able to join the United States Air Force. It's another miraculous move of God as a stone of remembrance in my life. Because being in the military has brought me more opportunities than I could ever express. And I thank God every day for those opportunities. So I went through basic training um, it was great. I recommend it for everybody. <laughs> and then I went to my first duty station at Peterson Air Force Base out in Colorado Springs. My kids were becoming older at that point. I think they were two or three or three and four. All the years start to run together. It was at that time that, that we noticed that their development was delayed. So we took them for some tests, and that's when they were officially diagnosed with severe autism, both of them. And so, that's certainly a stone of remembrance for me, because God has shown me more grace in my children, and he has shown me more lessons and more about myself than I could ever have imagined. And it's not in spite of their autism, it's because of it. I see my children now, and they're going on 16, and one's 14. My youngest is 14. And you want to talk about miraculous things. 
when your sons, when your sons, your children don't have the capability to verbalize and say I love you, they can't communicate that. But yet they show you in their own ways, it, it, it shows you, they show you in their own ways how they love you. It shows you that God's love is always not obvious, but it's always there. It's always there for his children. And there are times when it doesn't seem like God loves you. There are times when it doesn't seem like my kids love me very much because they don't communicate it in a way that I, tip, that, that I can understand all the time. But they do. And the same way goes for God. I mean, what was the song we sang, Waymaker, where it talks about how we don't always see it. But God's love is always with us. And he's always looking out for us. And he's always guiding our steps. And these stones of remembrance that we can look back on in our own testimonies reminds us of that. It reminds us of that. And it taught me so much about myself. I... My youngest son is, is, is me made over, and that's probably works to his benefit and his disadvantage sometimes. But he has shown me more about myself than I could ever have imagined. So that became a thing. The, my kids having autism became a major factor in, my, in Rebecca, my wife, and I's marriage. And we didn't know how to handle it at first, but we've thankfully, God allowed me to join the United States Air Force because the Air Force paid for their therapy. They paid for their medical stuff. We're talking $100,000 a year for one kid. One kid. And I have yet to see a bill. That was God working miraculously in not just my life and my wife's life, but my children's lives because that helped them develop into the young men they are now. I'm thankful every day for that. So as uh, many service members and, and veterans know, with the military culture comes the, uh, the temptation and the copious use of alcohol. And I was not immune to that uh, culture. I was not immune to that temptation. It started off very slow, um, it was social, and it was very, uh, I thought I had it under control, but I went on my first deployment in 2013, I went to, uh, I, it's a, a deployment, I went to work at the U.S. Embassy in Lima, Peru, so it was definitely uh, not your typical deployment, it was very, it was very cushy, very, very nice, I was a, uh, E4, a junior enlisted at the time, so I was very, very young to have such a lucky, uh, <laughs> lucky deployment. And when I got there, I was, I had um, been attending a church, and I grew to, I grew to, um, to like the church there. I was a part of it. I was involved in leadership, and that church, they hurt me. Um, I was I was hoping to get a position a leadership position in the church and they they bypassed me completely and went to somebody else and and I felt betrayed and I was very hurt. So because of that I uh I dove pretty deep into the bottle. Um 
Peru has a pretty big drinking culture, and so it was not very difficult. I was also with uh, w around or with Army, um, Army. Well, matter of fact, those all four branches were on our team, so it was a, a lot of different military cultures. But it, in essence, we uh, we would go drinking pretty often. And it was at that point I realized I didn't. Well, I didn't realize, but what I was doing was I was using alcohol as a means to cope with anxiety, with hurt. And that was the first step into my unhealthy um, addiction and using alcohol as a means to help my hurt instead of looking towards God and towards his healing, emotional healing, I looked towards a bottle. And I made a lot of dumb mistakes while I was there. And as I look back, I realized that I was running from God at that point because I was so hurt by what this church did. I was, I was so hurt that I was actively running from God. But what I realized is that the entire time, God was holding on to me. God wasn't letting me go. And I thank God every day for that because I realized that we may sin, we may sin very much, in very big ways, and we will face, you know, sometimes we'll face the consequences of those sins. Many times we will face the consequences of those sins, but for those whom God loves, it is a means of drawing them back to him. God chastises those he loves. He cares for those he loves, and he will discipline them as necessary as a father disciplines a son and his children. So that stone of remembrance for me is the fact that God was disciplining me and making me realize that I didn't need to look to the inside of a bottle for healing. I needed to look to him. Unfortunately, I didn't learn that lesson in, at that point, but I remember it, and I would remember it later as I move on. So fast forward a few years, um, I, in 28, or 2017, a little deeper into my uh, Air Force career, I got deployed to Qatar. It was nowhere near as, uh, nowhere near as cushy, nowhere near as um, exciting as, uh, not exciting in the right ways anyway, as Peru. And if you're not familiar, Qatar is, uh, is out there in the, in the Middle East and it's, um, <laughs> It was, uh, it was a very interesting uh, first-time experience for me being out there in the sandbox. I did a lot of time in Qatar. I went to Iraq. I went to Kuwait quite a bit, constantly traveling. And in that deployment was the first time that I realized that sometimes the, the, the people that we need to look out for aren't necessarily the ones we call the enemy. Um, I had people in my, in my leadership who was very active in trying to make our lives miserable. And I got resentful, bitter, and the biggest effect was I be became very anxious about people. And I realized that I couldn't trust anybody. My anxiety, that's when I started developing what would eventually be diagnosed as general anxiety disorder. And so, because it's easy to, when you know that person's the enemy, they're supposed to be the enemy, that's a lot easier to deal with than trying to figure out what the guy who's supposed to have your back is doing behind your back. 
So I came back from that deployment, um, drinking heavily or heavier. Uh, it was not a, not good. Fast forward to my next assignment at the uh, United States Air Force Academy, back to Colorado Springs, and all of my anxiety that I developed while I was deployed about people stabbing me in the back and that and that that fear and that paranoia and that anxiety tripled when I got there because of various situations. Um, and so it got to the point, my anxiety, my depression got so bad that I was, I wouldn't drink during the work week because I didn't want to get in trouble, but on the weekends, I was rarely sober. And one night, or one day when I was at work, I decided that I couldn't do this anymore. I couldn't just quit the military. That wasn't an option. And I was so tired of being anxious and fearful and stressed and depressed that I just decided that I was done with life. I kept a knife, a very large enough knife to hurt. In my, I always kept it in my backpack. I always kept it sharp. I never considered using it until that point. I was sitting in my office, and the first thought I had when I pulled it out and popped it open, I thought to myself, I can't do this anymore, and I'll show them, because it was my leadership that I felt was causing this, so I wanted them to pay for it. The bitterness was just unreal. So I took the knife, and I just my intention was to just one, one good time. That's all I needed. I put it to my throat a couple of times, but I couldn't go through with it at that point. I thought to myself, I need to send a text to somebody first to let them know to take care of my family when I'm gone. So I started to write the text to a really good church friend of mine. He goes, hey, take care of my family. You'll understand why here in a minute, or you'll understand why here soon. I didn't send the text because as I was writing it, I was like, I can't, this can't be it. So I went to my first sergeant, who, if you're not familiar with how the military is structured, the first sergeant is responsible for the morale and the welfare of the individuals in his unit, his or her unit. So I went to his office and said, Sergeant Garcia, I need help because I'm going to kill myself if I don't get it. And that man saved my life that day because he stopped everything he was doing. And he had a lot of meetings, I'm sure. He stopped everything he was doing, and he took me to behavior health or in the mental health clinic and got me the help I needed. That's a stone of remembrance for me because I realized that God can heal so many wounds if we just go to him. And I had a lot. And I was trying to drown him in alcohol. I was trying to just get by without dealing with the problem. 
So I went through therapy, mental health counseling, and I'm standing here today, so I wasn't successful. <laughs> um, there are so many people that are hurting that we don't see. There are so many hurts that people have that we don't recognize. And all it takes is listening to people, and all it takes is genuinely being empathetic towards people to show them that God loves them. I don't know if Sergeant Garcia was a Christian or not. I never asked. But I know for a fact that day he showed God's love to me. Because he saw a man who was hurting, who was ready to end everything, and he took time to help him. That is a stone of remembrance for me. Because it was almost the last stone I ever put up. So I went to therapy. For a year later, I was able to um, get out of the military and join the, um, the Air National Guard. So I'm still part-time military. I'm just doing it as a guardsman. And I thank God ev every day for the opportunity for that because... The, uh, the unit that I'm attached to now, the Colorado Air National Guard, is incredible. They are great people, and they, care, they genuinely care about their people. And so now I stand here, a man who has been broken so many times. But I stand here as a stone of remembrance to God's grace and his love his sovereignty and his goodness. Each one of us are stones. Each one of us reflect the glory of God when we follow his will and when we obey him and when we show love to people. Each one of us is a walking testimony. I believe it was John Wesley who said, one of the Wesley brothers who said that whenever he goes out to evangelize on the street, all he does is light himself on fire and the people come to watch him burn. And what he meant by that was that the passion and his testimony lit him on fire for Christ and people came to see it and people came to know Christ through his testimony and through the testimony of so many people. And I pray that as I stand here tonight, that people hear my story and that they see Christ because all the stones of remembrance that I've put up over my life, they all testify to him. As of February 2nd and February 6th, uh, 2022, that's when I started my sobriety and I've been sober ever since then, however long that is, a year and a half, I think. I'm still working through a lot of my, thank you, I'm still working through a lot of my anxiety issues. <laughs> um, I haven't had suicidal ideation since that day. I've grown closer to God in the past year than I have in many years by trusting in him and by looking back to what I had learned in the past. I talked about my time here at Oxford uh, when I was young and how I grew up with Christian parents. I grew up under the tutelage of many incredible Christian people here at Oxford. 
when I was going through my anxiety and I was going through just trying to figure out what was wrong with me, I started to look back at what, how I used to be and the experiences that I had here at Oxford and at Brownsville and all these different things, and I saw how God had moved in my life, and I realized that I just have to trust in him. I just have to trust in the goodness and the sovereignty and the grace of God. Church, look to your lives when you're going through good times and especially the, the rough times when your body is aching, when you're laying up at night worried about whatever, when the anxiety is racking your body so heavy that you don't think you can survive. Look back to the stones of remembrance in your own life. Look back to how Christ has walked you through each and every step of your life, and then you will remember to trust in God. And as my last my last point, I want to say this. I know there's people listening online, maybe even here in the audience. If you have not come to know Christ, there is no time like now to set your stone of remembrance up as the night that you came to a trusting faith in Christ. Because there is no sin that he can, he, there's no sin that he can't wash away. The grace of God is bottomless. The grace of God is infinite. His mercy triumphs over judgment. Don't delay, don't wait, because you may not have a chance tomorrow to set up that stone of remembrance. You may not have the opportunity. Because if you wait till you're better, you will never come at all. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love that sustains us in all things, for your power that is mighty to save, and for your spirit that indwells within us and allows us to serve you and gives us the ability to worship you. Lord Father, you are a good God. You are a gracious God. And I ask that as we leave this place, Lord, that you would help us remember because we are so forgetful. Humanity is so forgetful. We forget things that happened the day before, but Lord, bring the stones of remembrance to our minds when we are in the depths of our darkness, Lord. When we are in the depths of despair. Bring forth light that shows us that you are good and that you are merciful and that you carry your children through every single storm. Oh, God, may we never forget your goodness. And when the world tries to blot it out, the world tries to, do, tries to hide and suppress the truth of God, let us be mighty to say that we stand on stones of remembrance because we know the truth of God in your word. We know the truth of God in our hearts, and we know that you are sovereign and good and that you are mighty, and you will not be mocked. You will not be cast down. The nations may rage. Society may come at us, and it may battle us, and it may tell us that there is no God and there is no truth. But, Lord, we know every believer stands on the truth of the promises of God that are written in your very inspired, infallible word. 
And we stand on those promises as stones of remembrance because our stones of remembrance are built on the cornerstone that is Christ. That is the stone of remembrance for every believer. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Give us grace and give us love. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Awesome testimony of God's graciousness. There's a song that I almost used the word Sunday, and it, my message took a little bit different turn, so I didn't use it. But its song says, You love, I'll judge. You touch, or you reach, and I'll touch. That's such great advice. If we would learn to love, let God take care of the judging. And if we do the reaching, just like the man that, and the many that has touched Nick's life, then God will take care of the rest. I know he's already prayed, but let me just close in prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you for these great words of encouragement, but also challenges to remind us that we need to be ever sensitive to you because we never know what someone else is going through. The despair, the hopelessness, the despondency, the terror. And God, we ask you to help us as a church to reach and reach out and touch people, love people, and leave the judging up to you. Knowing that we're limited to what we can do, we can only do what humans can do, but you can touch their hearts. You can touch their lives. So, Father, for those that are watching online, God, we ask you to minister to them, touch them, give them encouragement. Those that have heard this tonight in person, thank you. Those that will be listening in the future, God, that you would minister to that. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I just want to mention that these will go into our archives, so this will be able to, you can tell somebody, you need to go listen to that, even though it was live tonight. And we'll be able to see it in the, and hear it in the future. Thank you for being here with us. Looking forward to, to Sunday. And you have a blessed, blessed day. Wow, what an incredible moment we've just experienced as a church family. In fact, let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help each and every person watching see that you have a plan for them, that you love them very much. Write your name on their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we continue praying, I know that there are some of you right now, whether you've been in church for many years or never stepped foot in one, like many other people, you don't really know why you even need Jesus in your life. You see, the Bible tells us that we all desire a life, freedom, happiness. But the problem is sin. Sin, which is just disobedience from God, is what separates us from all of those things. Every single one of us struggles with some kind of sin, some, some more than others. But Jesus came into this world and instead of us paying the price, He paid the price and He died on the cross and He rose again so that you and I could have eternal life, so that our relationship with God would be restored. And how do we receive this eternal life? What's our part in all of this? Well, it's so simple. The Bible says that all we need to do is to believe with our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
I know that you can sense the tugging on your heart. I want you to invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And you can do that right now. I'm gonna say a prayer, and if you say this prayer with me and believe it in your heart, you will be saved. All you need to do is repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Save me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And from this day, I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Congratulations to every one of you who just prayed that prayer and made this decision to follow Jesus. I'm telling you, this is a life-changing moment. Together, we are the church, so welcome to the family of God. If you're wondering, what do I do next, Pastor Daniel? Well, it's simple. I want you to tell us. Tell us that you decided to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life because we wanna walk with you as you start this journey. It's super simple. You can let us know in the chat and our team will connect with you. I believe with all my heart that God brought you here for this purpose. He's got incredible things planned for you and we'd love to walk with you as you start this journey. So make sure you let us know that you've decided to follow Jesus. Now before you go, there are many ways to stay connected with what's happening here at OAG. You can visit our website at www.oag.church, follow us on Instagram, or join our Facebook group. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today, be sure to connect with us online at oag.church. We are the family church for the family of God, and we are praying for you. 